Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. on Sunday morning Grandma's hand played a tambourine so well Grandma's hand used to issue out a warning she'd say Billy don't you run so fast might fall on a piece of glass might be snakes there in that grass Grandma's hand Unwed mother, grandma's hand used to ache sometimes and swell. Grandma's hand used to lift her face and tell her she'd say, Baby, grandma, understand that you really love that man. Put yourself in Jesus' hands, grandma's hand. Candy, Grandma's hand Pick me up each time I fell Grandma's hand Boy, they really came in a handy She'd say, Matty, don't you whip that boy What you wanna spank him for He didn't drop no apple core But I don't have Grandma anymore If I get to heaven, I'll look for Grandma's hand Remembering some of the artists taken from us by COVID-19 this week. And from the Edge of America, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. We've got the ultra-modern knack of getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty what? You can't say that on the radio, can you? You you know, if you've been listening to this program, that uh, nothing is as short-lived as a fracking well. Most of the stuff comes out in the first year, and then they got to go dig some new wells. It was once the fastest-growing and most controversial oil field service in the United States, shale boom. Shale boom! Fracking is getting hammered, according to Reuters. As oil prices near a two-decade low, nobody's ever seen prices like this, except two decades ago, and producers stopped completing new wells. The musical chairs are available for you. Oh, no, it's too late. Fracking companies which pump water, sand, and chemicals into wells to release trapped oil and gas. Oh, I'm a trapped oil and gas. 
help turn the U.S. into the largest oil producer in the world. And just at the right time for the planet, the business became despised by environmentalists. Now, with oil prices falling below the cost of production, oil and gas producers are canceling contracts and forcing providers to idle their giant pumps and vats of chemicals. They've idled their vats. An estimated 31 hydraulic fracturing fleets, 11% of those currently operating, were turned off in the last week. That's from data provided by a consultancy called Primary Vision. More than 40% of the more than 400 operating a year ago have been sidelined. It's a bit of a panic in the oil field, said the head of shale research for another consultancy, Rystad Energy. Work is declining faster now than during the, 19, uh, the, during the 2014 oil downturn because oil and gas producers, imagine this, ladies and gentlemen, have no financial backstop. Just like many firms are stopping all activity Right now, said that uh, second consultant. In the U.S. shale world, Rose Hill Resources is number one. They're halting all drilling and well completions. Another firm, Laredo Petroleum, said next month it will stop completions for the remainder of the year. Reductions are falling hardest on the fracking providers. One uh, such FTS International plans to cut 159 workers in the Permian Basin. That's, in, uh, I believe that's in the Pennsylvania thing. On top of 35 workers in early March, Pro Petro Holding Corporation says it doesn't have jobs for two pricey electric frack fleets. Say that fast. It began building last year. That company cut jobs last week. Schlumberger, a top provider of oil field services says this week it would accelerate a restructuring of its North American land business, a restructuring that previously included idling up to 30, no, sorry, up to 50% of its frack fleets. That sounds like a TV series for the modern age, doesn't it? Frack fleet. What? They're shutting the frack down. My favorite headline of the week, I don't do this a lot, maybe the first week. So we we haven't got the uh, plaques plated up yet, and the, uh, the silver cup has yet to be welded. But uh, headline of the week from The Guardian in Britain, Giant Leap for Toad Kind. It's what happens when man temporarily relinquishes a bit of his dominion. Really bad diction by those guys. The cancellation of a series of cross-country running races in West Yorkshire, England, because of the uh, virus, has had a um, benevolent side effect, apparently. It saved hundreds of migrating toads from being squashed underfoot. A toad protection group said hundreds of the amphibians have been trampled by runners in previous years. The popular races take place close to a pond where the toads mate. I know how I'd feel if toads were running by where I mate. The races, known as bunny runs, are hosted by the Wharfdale Harriers. They had been due to take place in April during the evening, as they normally do. 
the evening is when the toads mate, and uh, so instead of the and the the course is on an uneven ground, so the runners just basically plant their feet down wherever they land, and uh, very often it's toads trying to get into the mating thing, and uh, they got toad innards on their shoes and. Anyway, it's not happening this year because uh, of the virus. And so, the toads shall live. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our very close friend, the Atom. Well, guess who's lacking in protective gear? Yes, but also the workers at Fukushima. As they need them daily, the protective gear, for years to guard against radiation. Wouldn't you figure? Shipments temporarily stopped coming in, according to the Associated Press, although an alternative supplier was later found, according to TEPCO, which runs Fuk. They ran it into the ground, apparently. The 4,000 workers at the plant cannot always practice social distancing, as they must come close to each other to carry out cleanup work, according to spokesman Joji Hara. To reduce the possibility of infection, workers have been forbidden from riding on public transport. When eating at the cafeteria, they can't sit facing each other, and their temperature should check daily. We're involved in decommissioning work that can't ever stop. And so we're taking every precaution we can, said Hara. Can't ever stop or otherwise. TEPCO estimates that $12.6 billion will be needed over 12 years. That's about a billion dollars a year. I just did that math in my head. To remove melted nuclear fuel from reactors at Fuk number 1. TEPCO's announcement on March 30th covers only two of the three reactors that suffered meltdowns. No estimate was attempted for the cost of the number one reactor and the uh, removal of the fuel there. The situation at that reactor is the most difficult among the three reactors, and TEPCO officials are still struggling to come up with a plan for removing the debris from within. That's what they always say. Look within. Sandbags. Now, sandbags, they can't hurt you. Sandbags were placed as an emergency measure to lower radiation levels of contaminated water. Now, and that's at Fook, not just any sandbags. Now they turn out to be so highly radioactive they pose an obstacle to the decommissioning of Fook number one. That's according to the Asahi Shimbun. A recent survey showed that the materials are in such a hazardous state that TEPCO is having to postpone its plan to discharge the contaminated water. That plan basically was to dump it in the ocean. I mean, it's, but it's, it's, plan, it's a plan. You had a plan for that. The sandbag should be removed, but that will not be so simple, said an official of, Japan, of Japan's Nuclear Regulation Authority. TEPCO is struggling to find ways to safely remove 28 tons of sandbags in the basements of two buildings near um, the number one and number three reactors, 
where that triple meltdown occurred. Triple meltdown for a Sunday afternoon. They were packed with a mineral called zeolite to absorb, absorb radioactive cesium. But they are emitting, not absorbing, radiation levels of up to three to four sieverts an hour. That would kill half of the people exposed to the high rating for an entire hour. The other half, you know, some itching. Some um, itching. Soon after the nuclear crisis began to unfold, TEPCO used the two buildings as substitutes for tanks. Uh, They wanted to temporarily store a huge volume of heavily contaminated water produced on the plant site. In doing so, the zeolite-packed sandbags were installed on the floors of the building's basements to absorb radioactive substances in the water. Interest in the sunken sandbags waned as the years passed, but the issue surfaced again December a year ago when TEPCO bothered to measure some radiation levels in the two buildings' basements in preparation for removing the radioactive water there. Significantly high radiation levels were detected just above the floors. A zeolite sample collected from the sandbags recorded a cesium concentration of about 130 million becquerels per gram. You can do that in your head, can't you? TEPCO has been forced to delay the water removal at the two buildings to fiscal 2023 or later, or fiscal later. It initially planned to finish the process by now. If it doesn't have countermeasures in place when the water is released, the highly radioactive sandbags will be exposed to air. And then then the fun begins. TEPCO is now weighing ways to safely dispose of the contaminated materials. One idea, suck up the zeolite. That's just good practice anyway. Suck up the zeolite from floors above ground and store it in other other receptacles. I said receptacles. You know, because that won't be another problem later on that they'd have to. And the other idea is to pack the material in different containers in water for temporary storage. So again, you know, save it for later. Officials acknowledge those measures will not eliminate all safety risks. I think it goes without saying. But they said it. And Dateline Albuquerque, the U.S. government's efforts to clean up Cold War-era waste from nuclear research and bomb-making at federal sites around the country has lumbered along for decades, according to the Associated Press. But now, fallout from the pandemic is resulting in more challenges as America's only underground repository for nuclear waste finished ramping down operations this week to keep workers safe. Apparently that's something that doesn't have to continue no matter what, unlike TEPCO. Over more than 20 years, tons of waste have been stashed deep in the salt caverns that make up the southern New Mexico site. Until recently, several shipments a week of special boxes and barrels packed with lab coats, rubber gloves, tools, and debris contaminated with plutonium is why, and other radioactive elements were being trucked to the remote facility from South Carolina, Idaho, and other spots. I would wonder where those other spots are, but I would be taking my eye off the ball. That is grinding to a halt. Shipments to the desert outpost will be limited for the foreseeable future while work at the country's national labs and defense sites shift to only those operations considered, quote, mission critical. Officials, uh, close that quote. Officials at the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, the WIP, warned New Mexico regulators in a letter that more time would be needed for inspections and audits and that work would be curtailed or shifts would be staggered 
You don't want staggered shifts in a nuclear thing, do you? I mean, just just for verbal elegance. That would be to ensure that workers keep their distance from one another. This action is being taken out of an abundance of caution for the safety of employees in the community, said a spokesman for the Nuclear Waste Partnership. That's the contractor that runs the repository. Some critical duties still must be done, like placing bolts in the repository ceilings, just to ensure that the shifting salt doesn't collapse is all. Well, I guess i got to get up and do that. Some work related to cleanup is ongoing, such as radiological surveys, inspections of hazardous waste storage facilities, and maintenance of an early notification system designed to protect drinking water supplies, is all. Clean, cheap, safe, too early to drink, our friend the Atom. Yeah. 
He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh no. All right. Take your word for it. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, news of inspectors general. They are in the news this week, not just on this program. Isn't that wacky? First of all, over at the Environmental Protection Agency, working on getting that middle word out of its name, in a highly unusual move, according to E&E News, the administrator of the agency, supposed to protect our environment, is calling on the agency's inspector general to scrap a new report that criticizes a lack of outreach to communities potentially exposed, you know, to a cancer-causing chemical. The tone and substance of this report indicates a disconnect, Wheeler said in a news release. Most surprising, he said, is that the IG's office provided no indication in a final meeting on the report, quote, that there would be any unresolved issues unquote, with the EPA and its response. He said, as a result, we're formally requesting the EPA IG rescind the report so it can be appropriately updated, ideally by me. No, he didn't say that. Asked for more detail on what Wheeler was seeking, EPA spokeswoman said in an email that he wants the inspector, does Wheeler, Inspector General, to pull back the entire report and come back to the table for further discussions, unquote. There's that table. I don't know what's on it. Everything, usually. But that leads to a messy table. Earlier, however, Inspector General Sean O'Donnell at the EPA, he's been on the job for barely two months, signaled through a spokesperson he has no plans to do what Wheeler wanted, pull back the entire report and come back to the table. Quote, the report is an example of the seriousness we take our responsibility to alert the EPA, Congress, and the public to urgent concerns about human health and the environment, said a spokesman for the Inspector General. While the IG prefers to reach agreement with EPA on its recommendations before issuing the report, that is not always possible, said the spokesperson. Continuing, we look forward to discussing these matters with the EPA during the resolution process identified in this report. Unquote. Of course, the report is pulled back. The resolution process... I'm so... Now... Even uh, more prominently, at 10 p.m. Friday night, President Trump sent uh, a letter to Congress in which he said he's firing the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, Michael Atkinson. What did he do? Well, he's the guy who alerted Congress to the whistleblower complaint that triggered impeachment. Yeah. Behind the scenes, sources close to the president expect him to fire more Inspectors General, as soon as he finds more late Friday evenings, because nobody's paying. No, because uh, across his government would be where he wants them. This is according to a reporter for Axios.com. Conservative allies of the president have told him that these IGs are members of the, quote, deep state trying to undermine him. Trump, according to Axios, now appears to have embraced that view. A conservative ally of the president said inspectors general are part of the U.S. government's, quote, regulatory and compliance systems slash organs, unquote, that protect the establishment. 
subject of deep state IGs, has been discussed within the Groundswell Network, an influential circle of conservative activists helmed by the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. The move to take an effect in 30 days, the move to um, get rid of Atkinson, comes amid this broader initiative to purge the administration of officials seen as disloyal to the president. The timing of the disclosure of this firing, of course, means it may go unnoticed by many Americans focused more on, oh, a virus thing. Trump also this week nominated Brian Miller to be special inspector general for pandemic recovery at the Treasury Department. Miller has been a senior White House associate counsel. How can you be a senior associate? There's just, there's just a, will the head of the title department fix this? The Wall Street Journal reports the new position that uh, Inspector General for Pandemic Recovery was um, created by Congress in that big stimulus bill that passed recently. Congress inserted that provision. The president issued a signing statement saying, I'm not sure about that. The position is intended to watch over how $500 billion earmarked for loans to business ends up being spent. I think Trump at one point said, I'll be the oversight. I'll be the oversight and the undersight. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this podcast. And speaking of... <laughs> did I mention Pre- President Trump? Um, some journalists have now taken to amassing a timeline of the last two or three months the history of the coronavirus experience in the United States because it has become a subject of controversy. The president (laughs) claiming that uh, he was among the earliest to do anything about it, having uh, closed the door to Chinese passengers flying, uh, threatening, fixing to fly into the United States. Other things weren't done early, certain critical voices point out. You know, they're nasty people. So, uh, but you know, the timeline is like a chart and it's, you gotta, I think there's an easier way to uh, focus on what's been going on and what's not been going on. February, it's under control. Just a few cases, then we rock and we roll. The market's like a rocket, it's on Twitter and Reddit. You can call me crazy, but I'm taking credit. Corona's just a neighborhood in Queens. We're number one, not some poop hole like Haiti. People keep watching when you do a 
Responsibility at all. An admiral told me, You're doing great, matey. It keeps the virus guessing when you do another 180. 180. That we're in a kind of spiral, but a big part of leadership is going viral.
Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Wouldn't you think? I do. We're so sorry. So, first of all, the lion's share of apologies this week would be COVID apologies. And here we go. An employee at a gold mine in um, Aboriginal territory. Of Canada 
is in hot water after joking about infecting the Arctic territory with COVID-19. Territory is doing everything it can to keep the global outbreak from breaching its borders. So far it is COVID-19 free. Chief Public Health Officer of uh, Nunavut says it's not a laughing matter. Quote, like many people, I was very uncomfortable and less than happy with that post. I did see the original Facebook post and was upset by it. Unquote. The employee was identified as being from Quebec, alleged on Facebook that the mine in the Rankin Inlet was not screening workers. Just got back home for today from camp, he said, in a conversation with an Inuk that was screen grabbed. Okay, did the workers get tested before going to work? The friend asked. Nope, the employee replied. So the coronavirus is going to spread all over the area, to which his friend replied, that ain't funny, unquote. Patterson, in a briefing with the media on April Fool's Day, said the employee apologized and retracted the statement, explaining it as, quote, an inappropriate joke. He's not the only one. There'll be more. Meanwhile, Dateline Berlin German sportswear maker Adidas apologized this week for saying it would stop paying rent for stores around the world forced to close by coronavirus lockdowns. It got a storm of criticism. It now says it would pay up for April after all. Adidas was blasted on social media for its decision to defer rental payments. The German labor minister, <laughs> Hubertus Heil, called the behavior irresponsible and noted the company had made hefty profits in recent years. Many retailers around the world had been seeking to defer rent payments, trying to write out the thing. Almost all over the world, there's no normal business anymore. The shops are closed. Even a healthy company like Adidas cannot stand this for long, the company said in a letter. Adidas said it would need credit even after staff cut their working hours, executives waived part of their pay, and the company stopped share buybacks. Yeah, that would be a good idea right now. Just to inflate the stock price, you think? It understood many people saw the decision on rents as lacking solidarity. Quote, we would therefore like to apologize to you formally. We have paid our landlords the rent for April. Adidas will suspend a billion approximately dollar share buyback it had planned for this year. The jack up its stock price. That is a sacrifice, ladies and gentlemen. Dayline Las Vegas, a Las Vegas man looking to gain social media notoriety, filmed himself pretending to suffer from COVID-19 symptoms at a Walmart. He was quickly arrested for the prank. Quote, I see the shelves empty. I see people with masks all on their face, said Gregory Hill. Then I came up with the idea like, wow, people are really taking this serious, unquote. At the time, Hill said he wasn't taking it seriously. He never even knew what an adverb was. He said his head would f was filled with in misinformation from bloggers and conspiracy theorists. Quote, my idea from social media is like, it's not that serious. From what I've seen, it's fake and the government came up with it and all that. That's what I was thinking. He said he thought people were overreacting to the whole deal. I come up with a prank. I start coughing around people, trying to see their reactions, trying to scare them, sort of. I thought it would be a viral video. You know what I'm saying, but it's not... He said he before before he could leave the Walmart, he saw police running through the store with masks on and guns drawn. He was taken to jail on several felony charges where he says his eyes were open. When I was in jail being forced to watch the news, <laughs> I know the feeling. Seeing these body counts, this person dying, that person dying, I'm like, holy crap, this is really serious. I really did make a mistake. 
I got this ankle bracelet after doing jail time off a joke. I got three felonies off of what I thought was a joke, and it's not a joke. It's not a game. There's real people dying out there. He's facing a couple counts of stuff. He's also ordered to stay away from the Walmart. That's good advice for everybody. And uh, it's probably the bad year, bad year for uh, dumb April Fool's jokes, you think? Dateline San Antonio, speaking of comedy and bad timing, the University of Texas at San Antonio sent out a message urging alumni to remember the school in their wills. Quote, an important time to create your legacy. Consider a gift in your will, reads the header of the email sent out by the school's senior executive director of gift planning. But the email's opening paragraph delves into the university's efforts to deal with the coronavirus, which brings a new set of challenges to each day. Immediately after, the letter segues into a discussion of how the school could use a share of the reader's philanthropic legacy. You're going to die anyway. Could we please? Shortly after lunch a week ago, Friday, University of Texas San Antonio sent a follow-up email offering sincerest apologies for the previous message. Quote, earlier today, you received an email from the UTSA planned giving program that referenced the coronavirus pandemic. The content of this email was insensitive, and it was sent in error. We sincerely apologize for this mistake. We should not have associated the current health crisis with an estate planning request. Unquote. The apology scope now trains its sights on the greater Toronto area of Canada. Toronto, I should say. The interim medical officer of health in the Peel region of greater Toronto apologized after sending the wrong COVID-19 test results to more than a dozen residents. Peel Public Health says they accidentally mailed letters to 16 residents that informed them that they tested negative for the virus. In fact, PPH says the residents have the virus. Quote, I know the relief those residents felt for a few moments has sadly been transformed into feelings of fear and uncertainty, said Lawrence Lowe, the chief medical officer, interim medical officer. Our team is working quickly to notify those residents and make sure they have what they need to manage this difficult situation. Unquote. Peel Public Health says the letters were mailed on Tuesday and Wednesday. Following investigation, they say they found that several positive test slips were mixed with a batch of negative results. The error was not noticed until after the letters were mailed, they said. Quote, we have made changes to our process to ensure that this situation does not occur again in the future. On behalf of the region of Peel, I extend apologies to those residents impacted by this error, said Lawrence Lowe. Mailed? You might change that part of the process. Because it takes a while to get there, unless Canadian mail is markedly different. Dateline Bridgeport, Connecticut, State State Senator Marilyn Moore has apologized after urging supporters to contribute to her re-election some of the federal money they're going to receive from the just-passed pandemic stimulus bill. Quote, it was not meant as a serious request, but an attempt to shift the conversation away from the heartbreaking statistics, she wrote on her Facebook page after she took the post down. When you get those stimulus checks, make sure you save them for more for Senate 2020. Just saying. That was the original post. In her apology, Moore said the statement had become political fodder. I've not asked anyone, friend or family, for a contribution during this pandemic. If I received a stimulus check, 
I would donate it. I apologize to my constituents and community if they were offended. If apology. Deadline Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. The country apologized this week after telling women to speak with a cartoon cat voice and avoid nagging their husbands during coronavirus lockdowns. That move sparked a sexism row. Malaysia's Women's Affairs Ministry issued advice on how to avoid domestic conflicts during the partial lockdown, which began over there March 18th. They put out a series of online posters with the hashtag, uh, hashtag women prevent COVID-19. One of the posters depicted a man sitting on a sofa and asked women to refrain from being sarcastic if they needed help with household chores. Avoid nagging your husband, another poster said, but use humor or imitate the infantile voice of Doraemon, a blue robot cat from Japan, (laughs) of course, that's hugely popular across Asia. The ministry also urged women to dress up and wear makeup while working for home. Quote, We apologize if some of the tips we shared were inappropriate and touched on the sensitivities of some parties, said the ministry's Women Development Department. The uh, online posters sparked a public outcry. They have still since been removed. Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York apologized this week to unemployed people who can't get through to the Labor Department to file unemployment claims. I apologize for the pain. It must be infuriating to deal with, Cuomo said at the end of his daily briefing. He said the Labor Department's website keeps crashing because hundreds of thousands of people are trying to use the site. The the office had 8 million calls last week. Unemployed workers across New York State are trying desperately to talk to a representative in the state Labor Department to file claims. The frustration is leaving hundreds of people in tears, running out of money, sheltering from the coronavirus, and unable to reach a human voice to start claiming Benefits. Some people say they're dialing the state's unemployment phone number hundreds of times a day with no success. He said companies are working to improve the technology. Try the mail. Seems to work in Canada. The department has dedicated 700 people to help with unemployment claims. They've also set up a staggered system for people to call based on the first letter of their last names. Labor Department is working to change the system so that more people who file online will not also have to call the department to finalize the claim. That would be... This would be about the time to do that. Ooh, he went falsetto on me. Faced with a backlash over its unilateral decision to refund guest reservations and leave hosts empty-handed while competitors took a more balanced approach, the co-founder and CEO of Airbnb, Brian Chesky, apologized to hosts. He also detailed a 280... 260, I just lowered it, million dollar Airbnb relief package. Chesky said in a letter to hosts, I hope not mailed, maybe mailed, went falsetto again. He said the decision made without consulting hosts, quote, was not a business decision, but based on protecting public health. So guests would not feel pressured to check in when conditions might not be safe. However, while I believe we did the right thing in prioritizing health and safety, I'm sorry we communicated this decision to guests without consulting you. Like partners should, unquote. Of course, he means as partners should. Chesky added Airbnb hosts want action, not more words. Quote, although it may have not felt like it, we are partners. When your business suffers, our business suffers, he said. So Airbnb committed to a relief package, paying hosts $250 million to partially cover the cost of cancellations. For canceled check-ins, second half of March, 
It's going to pay hosts one-fourth of what they would have received through their cancellation policies. Payments will begin to be issued in April. Set up a $10 million super host relief fund with rental and experiences hosts. Please host my experience. Eligible to apply for grants up to five grand. This is to help super hosts with rent and mortgage payments. That's super rent. Those grants do not have to be paid back. Airbnb employees donated $1 million to the Super Host Fund, and the co-founders of Airbnb are personally contributing the mailing the remaining $9 million. Airbnb is establishing a way for guests to contribute money to hosts. Competitors such as VRBO urged hosts to give guests refunds of up to 50% or credits for future stays, but left that decision up to the hosts. Anyway... No money for the neighborhoods destroyed. Oh, that's another subject for another time. Dateline Austin, Texas, the company behind a plan last week to cut some of its employees' paychecks if the COVID stimulus bill was approved, has now changed its mind. The plan would have allowed the company to reduce paychecks by the amount of stimulus payment from the government. The company wanted those workers to sign its Employee Emergency Compensation Fund. That would have allowed the company to take 50% of the stimulus acts 500 per child 500 per child credit. That's nice. This is uh, from a Texas San Antonio sorry, Austin TV station that didn't identify the company until it sent the TV station a statement via public relations company on behalf of ImageNet Consulting. Our intentions were to serve the greater good and protect our most vulnerable employees. However, we understand our plan was ill-advised. We have rescinded the potential program, and we apologize for any pain or confusion it may have caused. And finally, in the Corona Apology file, England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Jenny Harris, has apologized for saying that the supply of protective equipment had been solved. She acknowledged getting protective gear to places where there were shortages continues to be problematic. See, it's not just us. Now, some non-corona apologies. Rex Ryan apologized this week for a particular word he used while poo-pooing the five-year, $100 million contract the Dallas Cowboys gave to receiver Amari Cooper last month. During an appearance on an ESPN show, he expressed a pretty strong opinion about the Cooper deal. He's not a fan of it, and he called Amari Cooper... A word that begins with a T and ends with a D. Hours later, he asked for Cooper's forgiveness on another ESPN show. Well, this gets him two spots on ESPN. First off, I can't believe I used that word. Obviously, it was a poor choice for me to say what I thought about Amari. But what I added at the end of that, I want to apologize to Amari. And I hope he accepts my apology. This is maybe the apology of the week. A little more than a week after holding elections to fully replace its board of governors, the Houston-based Romance Writers of America this week issued apologies to its members and also an author whom the RWA censured last year. New president posted this letter. Board of Directors of the Romance Writers of America would like to offer our sincerest apology to you, our members. We understand the past few months have been deeply painful and upsetting, particularly for our members from marginalized communities. RWA has broken your trust, and the impact of that was devastating. We're sorry for this. We will do our best to heal these wounds and regain that trust. The RWA 
then expunged the ethics complaint against Courtney Milan. Complaints filed last year were the catalyst for a swift and dramatic rift in the organization. In our estimation, said the letter, this never should have happened. Milan was censured by the RWA late last year for comments she made on Twitter about another author's book, calling it a effing racist mess. When the organization censored her, censured her, several board members resigned, leading to a slow exodus until the entire board of the billion-dollar industry had vacated its post. Their post, the RWA says it will review its policies and code of ethics for the romance writers of America. Its code of ethics in providing a safe and equitable space for our members. I mean, not such a romance after all. And now popular video conferencing software Zoom issued an update to its iOS app for Apple devices, which stops it sending certain packets of personal data to Facebook. Well, it's going to be safe there. Move comes after a motherboard report found out that Zoom sends information like that, even if a user doesn't use his or her Facebook account to log in. Zoom says in its statement that the Facebook thing was collecting unnecessary device data. And Zoom also issued an apology for the, quote, oversight, unquote. And the company says it, quote, takes its users' privacy extremely seriously. Unquote. Zoom. Check the report we shared last week see how extremely, extremely is. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Seth Shapiro got his law degree. He moved to Brooklyn from Schenectady, 93. Got some clients in the food industry. He says it's not the money, it's the recipes He calls his mom, says he's doing fine She's got somebody on the other line Puts cold play on, pours a glass of wine he Curls up with a book about organized crime When it's late, and it's hot And the date with the late shows all that you
Mackenzie sees one just up ahead. She cuts in front of him and leaves him for dead. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this ultra self-isolating edition of the show. Back next week, same time on the radio, whenever you want and on your audio device of choice. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. You can find the email address for this program at harryshare.com and I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.